0: Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, John Luke McDonald. Say hello to the loving public.
1: Ooh, ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, ooh. This is our spooky Halloween special, JL. It is. It Are you is. feeling? Are you feeling the Halloween vibes?
1: I am. I did a little uh, Halloween hunt for my little brother and sister before. So I that see. was uh, setting, setting the, obviously no trick or treating this year with, with the uh, whole pandemic. So um, yeah, just uh, a bit of a compromise, but it was pretty, pretty fun.
0: Got to say for myself, sat in my uni flats, I'm still in self-isolation. Not seeing anybody all day, Watch, sitting in my bedroom watching films. Gotta say this is the least Halloweeny Halloween I think I've ever felt, but I guess there's no better way to make it feel Halloweeny than to uh, record a Halloweeny bonus podcast. Uh, And today we'll be looking at uh, a classic horror film, um, a very Halloweeny horror film, you know, it's one of the ones that's always associated, that kind of slasher genre, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, we're looking at a newer film, we're looking at His House, uh, a BBC uh, film in uh netflix original thing that came out in the last couple of days um and it's a kind of psychological horror uh and and so we're we looking at both of those um but before we uh we go on to that how are you doing john In, in on Halloween sense, how sense, you how you doing man i'm doing i'm doing good are you uh, are you dressed up are you got a costume on <laughs> I'm dressed up in a 2000 Arsenal shirt. If that's spooky enough that, for you, that is pretty we scary. The, we didn't win the league that year. How spooky! It's pretty
1: scary, that to be honest. Arsenal shirt uh, creepy, <laughs> horrible.
0: And uh, yeah, um, I'll get get, will talk about the lockdown in a bit. Um, because it's obviously got cinema connotations, importance, um, but I've got to say for me, personally, I'm out of self-isolation on, on Tuesday night or whatever, or Wednesday, like the last day is Tuesday. Uh, and then the lockdown is coming in on Thursday. Uh, it seems to be announced, it's going to be announced at any minute while we're recording. Uh, which means that Wednesday is the only day that I'm not in lockdown. So, uh, I guess I'm, we're on the piss on Wednesday. So it's a pretty shit situation for me, to be honest. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, my, uh, my dad got a notification the other day saying, oh, you, you need to uh, go into self-isolation. You've been in contact with someone, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's a key worker, so he got a test and it was negative, um, so he's, he's all good. But it just it's just weird because the two possible, if they're going on a 10 or 14 day um, like countdown thing, then either I was with him on the day that he would have potentially got it and I didn't get a notification. Or my nana was with him, and she didn't get a notification, so it's like something is mm. clearly not we're working with this system, you know. Speaking oh, of which, uh, speaking to... of which, with Halloween, there was a fantastic Halloween costume. Also. I'm not sure if you've seen it, it's got thousands of retweets now. Though someone's dressed up as the NHS track and trace
0: app. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> it's
1: funny. I'll send it you. Some, yeah, <laughs> and they uh, someone underneath in the in the replies put looks like twelve billion pounds to me. So uh,
0: <laughs> yeah fucking my my mate got covid which i'm pretty sure is the reason why i had to go into isolation right and he had, ten, he had to go isolate for 10 days mm-hmm. and me because i was in contact with them with someone had to isolate for 14 days oh, fucking that ain't fair yeah i
1: think it's, I, had, I think it's um 14 days if you've been in contact unless you have symptoms and it's 10 days for when you had symptoms i think because obviously it mass. takes like a few days to incubate or whatever
0: Yeah. Man, I'm pissed off. He's still about having having a good time, man. I'm still sitting indoors. I didn't get COVID. But anyway, enough about COVID because we talk about every podcast, but I'm going to come back on it later. We're going to start on another, but solemn note, a certainly solemn note, but um, uh, I was also one of admiration. It's a time to look back uh, today uh, on on Halloween. Um, It's sad to to report the passing of uh, one of the greatest actors to ever um touch the silver screen uh the original james bond uh, sean connery sadly passed away uh, in sleep age 90 today uh, in, in his home in the bahamas and um i uh i can't say i am the the world's biggest bond fan I, i've seen a few of his films in passing and i can respect uh how good they were for the time um However, you know, even from someone that isn't particularly close to a lot of his work, I can still appreciate uh, what he did for not only the, that role, but for the world of, of acting and British actors uh, in general. Um, I guess probably I'd say the position that I, uh, the role that I know him uh, best in is as um, Indiana Jones's father in the uh, third film, Oscar uh, Crusader, uh, I'm quite a big fan of the old thing, Indiana Jones, so... Uh, you know that, that's what what comes to mind for me, uh, other than Bond. when I think of Sean Connery. Um, but yeah, it's uh, again. You know, he's ninety, so this isn't um, this isn't some some big shock or, or you know any any massive. Um you know, lost years or whatever, but so I, I think this is a good time to to reflect on just how great of a career the uh, the man had, and um, certainly uh, Scotland's up in contention for for Scotland's greatest uh, ever actor, if, if he's not easily the forerunner.
1: Yeah, and obviously, um, yeah. I mean, with with the Bond stuff as well. You mentioned, I mean, I haven't uh, actually seen any of the old Bond stuff, so that's what I was going to get to doing. Hopefully, uh, well, what I was going to get up to in in the run up to No Time to Die, but obviously that's been uh, delayed now. So, yeah, but I will definitely get into watching those. And as you say, one of the you know greatest actors uh, from film and and uh, obviously from from Scotland as well, big uh, big figure. So yeah, it's a it's a shame, obviously with with passing. But um, I guess as you said, it's you know this is sort of maybe time for those people to to look back and reflect on on these films and stuff. And obviously. Uh, during the lockdown it's maybe a bit more of a, a sombre note but also you, you've got a bit more time maybe to reflect on things like this in a more positive way as well to sort of counterbalance that and uh, yeah it would be nice to, to go back through some of his films um, as obviously in the run up to Bond I'll be watching all the old Bond films but yeah as you mentioned he's, he's done a lot of other roles as well so uh, a big, big yeah, figure yeah. in Scotland as well
0: Obviously uh, won the um, won an Oscar in in the 80s for the untouchables as i previously mentioned you know uh indiana jones he was in um the hunt for Red october with his questionable accent in the, in that and uh and a lot of uh, other other great films maybe that aren't coming to to my head uh, right now maybe uh, oh highlander that's another one um but yeah obviously uh, very loved uh very loved by uh, all uh, associated with, uh, with, with, especially the Bond franchise, for which he's uh, most known. And on that, um, on that note, uh, I want to read out a quote from uh, from the current Bond, Daniel Craig, uh, with his thoughts on uh, Sean Connery's passing uh, today. He said, "It is with such great sadness that I have heard of the passing of one of the true greats of cinema. So Sean Connery will be remembered as Bond, and so much more. He defined an era and a style." The wit and charm he portrayed on screen can be measured in megawatts. He helped create the modern blockbuster. He will continue to influence actors and filmmakers alike for years to come. My thoughts with his family and loved ones wherever he is. I hope there's a golf course, which is uh, which is a great quote at the, uh, at the end there. And um, and continuing uh, as a segue into to talking about Daniel Craig's upcoming film No Time to Die, which is probably I. Like to think probably the film that we've talked about the most on the Now Show podcast probably seeing as it's like been in the the news ever since like we first started the podcast maybe that or Tenet yeah um, probably, yeah but um No Time to Die uh, is kind of been in the these last few weeks uh, this is kind of could have w- worked for last week but we just think about talking about it uh, and it, you know, it's quite, especially apt with with the passing of the original um, but there was those reports uh, JL uh, about Netflix.
1: Yeah, so there was a couple of reports over the past few weeks. Um, obviously, with uh, No Time to Die being delayed till potentially, well, delayed till next year for a theatrical release, and having seen the likes of Box Office with Tenor and so on, um, perhaps being, you know, definitely being underwhelming on, on the financial front. Um, so, yeah, there's been reports that uh, MGM and the and, uh, producers and distributors and so on, the companies have been trying to look to potentially sell bond to streamers. Um, I'm not sure exactly which ones, but I'd imagine the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime were uh, amongst the prime, candida- prime candidates. Um, Very nice. <laughs> that was completely unintentional, but I will take it. Um, but yeah, so there's talks that, uh, well, there was there was rumours and reports over the past couple of weeks that uh, they were trying to sell it, offload it to streamers and talks of a fee, uh, an offered fee in the region of 600 million which is absolutely incredible um, numbers, especially considering that, you know, as you mentioned off the fact that, you know, who doesn't have Netflix or, you know, whatever these days? I mean, mm-hmm. we saw beginning of lockdown, the numbers of people of Netflix absolutely rocketing. It's come down obviously now because people have, uh, you know, cancelled it, they've watched what they were to watch or they've kept it and there's no new people getting it because the people who wanted it have already got it. Uh, but who really is going to... Who doesn't already have Netflix is going to, you know... Most people have it anyway. And if you don't have it, then you're probably not going to want to get it anyway. No one's really going to be buying Netflix to watch to watch Bond, I don't think. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting to see whether they... You know, it probably is going to stick to a theatrical release now. But that means it's going to probably end up... You know, you can see things getting delayed. Even things that have been delayed until, like, summer 2021, you can see... With the way that the uh, the things are going with COVID resurgence and uh, box office, you know, hits with big blockbuster films, you mm-hmm. can see that um, yeah, they'll they will likely be delayed potentially again. And I think you know, with cinemas closing potentially again now in the UK with with lockdown imminent almost, um, it does seem to be that. I mean, it, it has been nice in in some regard because the bigger chain cinemas uh, that Cody and I go to. And I'm not sure about Cineworld, but um, obviously you got to see Baby Teeth and Proxima, which I missed Proxima and didn't even get to see Baby Teeth at all. Mm-hmm. It's been nice because there's been at least, maybe, maybe I've just noticed it more because I've been to the cinema more, um, but I feel like there's been a lot more indie and small budget and yeah, yeah. You know, smaller films that are coming through as well. So it's, you know, it, it has maybe worked in their favour as well because, you know, festival films, uh, which maybe wouldn't have been shown in the big cinemas are, are still getting shown and uh, some nice indie films as well like Pixie and Schemers and so on. Yeah, I I don't think schemas
0: would have been even in the cinema if it would have been right down the bottom of Billing. But as I said, they were showing it three times a a day in Cineworld. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a lot of films like that that were talked about. And as as well, for for both me and you, I know you've taken advantage of a lot of it. I've taken advantage of a fair bit of it, of the... um, of the classic films that are re-showing really that, you know, it was just so good to see them on the big screen, me watching all the six Rocky films in the cinema and, and all the Lord of the Rings films, Inception for the first time or first proper time, um, you know, and then you with, with a, a large number of different films and in, like in Elm Street, which obviously we'll talk about uh, later. And, and, you know, you watched all these classics, Jurassic Park, etc. Um, You know, that, that is one big advantage as well that, that came with, this lockdown period, there's also a lot of negatives, but I kind of very much enjoyed being able to sample um, what whatever they could find, really.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I saw a bunch of old stuff, and even, like, like I said, the indie stuff. It's been, obviously, I mean, the, the Bond thing with trying to sell it is, I don't know, I, I feel like even if it was on, if it was on, like, Netflix or Amazon, and I have both of them, I don't know if I'd watch it. I feel like it'd be, like, a massive, like, waste of an experience like it's i
0: mean i would watch it if there was no other alternative yeah yeah however
1: i I feel like i would probably like if it came on netflix say i don't know say netflix bought it and you know said oh it's gonna be a big christmas film they're gonna gonna release it for like a christmas thing you know what i mean yeah then i don't know whether i would though i feel like i'd probably given unless unless they said for sure it's not going to get a cinematic release at all.
0: Yeah, you know, there's not many films that I think are more required on a big screen than, than James Bond, you know, it's just such big, massive action, mm-hmm. and and it's like, you know, that that's the kind of thing that I want to see in the highest definition, the biggest screens, the biggest speakers, yeah. and the, I big, think, the most amount of people.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Bond for me, Bond, even though I haven't seen, as I've not seen many of them, I think I've seen like two or three of them, like definitely the, the, the Daniel Craig ones and uh, a couple of the other ones in part, I feel like Bond and then Nolan films are probably the things for me where it's like, you know, if, if you don't see this on a, on a cinema screen, then it's kind of almost pointless watching it, in, at least for the first time, because I feel like it's such a cinematic thing, to, you know, to go and see a James mm-hmm. Bond film or a Nolan film that it just kind of demands that you see it on the biggest screen and, you know, in a cinema. Um, so, yeah, it'll... I don't know. Dispute. We'll see how it goes with with Bond. But I imagine so, that it's going to just stick to a cinematic release now.
0: Do you remember what the last cinematic... Do you remember what the last theatrical date for Bond was before it got moved to 2021? Was it November the 10th, wasn't it? Or was it, it October? Was,
1: I think it was mid-November.
0: I think because... Well, thank def- God def- they didn't keep that. Because, segwaying in... Yeah. we I um, keep, keep keeping up with it they were supposed to announce the pre- 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 uh, Boris Johnson was supposed to have a press conference at 5 o'clock it's now 10 to 7 when we're recording and there hasn't been a press conference so we have to see what happens but it seems very very likely it seems pretty much certain that there's going to be a, a UK wide lockdown starting or, or England wide lockdown my apologies, starting uh, on Thursday um, and lasting for a, a month Mm-hmm. Um, which will mean that cinemas close um, again. More uh, important for you, I guess. Someone that's been to the cinema a lot it, these last two weeks. Obviously, I've been in uh, in isolation. Before that, I hadn't been for a bit because of the uh, the lack of cinemas. That like, cinema closed down in, in both London and, and Ely. The only place I've been was secretly near at view. But no cinema for a month. Um, whether the cinemas will even open back in December? December? We've got to question that. Um, so it looks like uh, we're going to uh, be doing exclusively digital releases. If there's no digital releases, I guess we might have to look at some series or some things we haven't covered before. But um, seeing as... I think now this justifies Cineworld's decision to close early because it now makes the other companies put in a bad situation. They have to like rush to change things before Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, You know, at least... Um, Cineworld had yeah. the had the advantage in that and in, in being uh, prepared or whatever. Um, I guess. The yeah, thing, I though, mean, is
1: just how like think about the amount of jobs that were lost with just one cinema closing. Think mm-hmm, how much it's going to mm-hmm. impact. You know, mm-hmm, I course. mean, obviously lockdown is, is extensive anyway, and it affects you know almost every industry apart from education and essential shops. But I, well, I don't know. It's it's tough the times is- for everyone, I guess. But it just feels extra tough going back into that. Uh, that sort of condition, because I think how many people it's going to affect and, and whatnot. So,
0: I um also got to wonder what will happen if the UK can government can bring back a, a furlough scheme, um, because there have been discussions of a kind of winter furlough. If if that is possible, um then that means that people that were working at View and Odium were covered, but people that weren't working, uh, people that work at Cineworld were sacked, essentially, and therefore wouldn't be yeah. covered. So you've got to feel sorry for those people um, themselves, you know. Um, it's a time for the industry, I guess, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, are, you know, there are a million industries that have been hit hard um, by, the, by the coronavirus, um, but for, especially for some so close to us, you know, from my personal interests, I wouldn't say music has really done that badly off it. Obviously in person gigs and stuff, you know, they've gone, but you know, that's like Spotify and and studios being able to record from home. I haven't noticed that much of you know, there's still albums coming out all the time. There's uh, the McDonald's live to... have you seen that McDonald's got oh, a yeah. live thing? McDonald's what the hell that is that? Why? Yeah, I keep getting <laughs> notifications on my McDonald's app too like <laughs> to Jess Glyn. I was like, mm, maybe not. Um and then also, you know, f- sports for both of us are sporty people. Um that that's been continued now. They're still playing full matches, even if it hasn't got fans.
1: I saw I one before on Twitter though, saying is sport if if there's a like, a full lockdown is um is sport gonna be so affected?
0: Can, the Premier League said so they can continue. Right, okay. So it feels like of all my personal interests, the one that's been hit hardest is uh, is film. Uh, really, you know, it's you can't. It's been especially hard to film anything. It's been hard. The cinemas have been struggling. It's um. It's really been a bad situation for the industry. Um, we've got to pray this ends as quickly as possible, and hopefully the lockdown will help that. Um, but we have to see. Yeah, pretty shit, really. But uh, what have you been watching, JL? We're like half an hour into the podcast, and um, we're not like, twenty minutes in. What have you been watching, JL? Uh, I haven't actually
1: watched that much since we last recorded. Obviously, we didn't record uh, too long ago, so it's mm-hmm. been a few days, and uh, I've been busy with other things. But I, th- so I did actually watch a film yesterday, which I want to talk about. Um, hmm. And it's a film that literally I hadn't heard about at all. It popped up on my on my Odeon like coming soon uh, list like a few maybe a week ago or so, maybe two weeks ago. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm gonna gonna check this out. It sounds interesting. And it was really good. I really liked it. So this is uh, the film I'm talking about. Is Mogul Mowgli? Uh, I think that's how you say it. And it's a film, 2020 film, um, directed by Bassem Tarek. Um, who I think I'd seen some of the stuff that they've directed before on people's, like, letterbox logging, but I've not actually seen anything from them before. And it's a film uh, about a young British Pakistani rapper uh, who uh, then begins to suffer from a uh, crippling illness, which basically is like a a muscle-wasting disease, which basically he's... um, like his muscles are starting to fail, basically his body is like attacking itself. And it's kind of this I don't I don't know what genre I'd call it. I mean, I'm looking at Letterboxd Nancy what they've classed it as. They say drama. Um I mean, that's a very vague genre anyway. But it, it yeah. kind of falls into this almost psychological, not really thriller or horror, but kind of this psychological profile. Uh, it kind of investigates um this Riz Ahmed, who I had no idea. Because I've, I've seen Riz Ahmed in um, Rogue One, Nightcrawler, and then also uh, Dead Set, which was like a 2008... I think i talked about it on the podcast before. It's Charlie Brooker produced... Um, it's kind of like Big Brother of Zombies, effectively. And, yeah, so... But I had no idea that Riz Ahmed was, actually did did music as well. I, I don't know. Maybe I did and just forgot or didn't really put two and two together. Um but it's it's really a really fascinating film because it kind of has this, uh, like I said, this British um, Pakistani rapper who has these kind of conflicting um, sort of this conflict really with kind of their with, with his um, his international like fame and and career as as a rapper and then uh, his uh, Pakistani family roots and traditions and and heritage. But also mixing that with, you know, being born and raised in Britain and, and it's really interesting. It's kind of I don't know, just I'd really recommend watching it if you can before we go back into well, if I don't know when this lockdown's gonna get actually, you know, imposed, but if you get a chance to, to go see it because for me it was it was so interesting to see it was this kind of hybrid film where it had elements of like a thriller and a psychological film and not horror, so to speak, but kind of some kind of Vague tropes of horror. Um, it was just a really interesting film and a f- fantastic performance um, and from Riz Ahmed. And I want to kind of check out some of his music now because the the energy and the lyrics and the sort of the the political. I mean, I, I saw an article on Letterboxd which said that he tried to make his work not political, tried to separate the political from from the personal. But I feel like it was so charged. Um, the lyrics in the in the raps in the, in the in the film. That I want to check out some of his music because it was really, really interesting. There was one line which really stuck with me. Um, it wasn't even necessarily the most political or, or uh, sort of powerful um, in terms of narrative, but I felt like it was such an interesting line. He said um, at one point, says in the film, "It." I can't. I don't get. I don't want to like get it wrong because it was so good. I'm Gonna have to Google it and get it back to you. It was something about his blood, and he was saying about how his. Um, being held back by his blood it was it was a really fantastic performance from Riz Ahmed and um, just this really great energy but also this kind of desperation and and helplessness um, which kind of like a really nice interesting contrast and one of the better performances um, definitely up there with one of the better performances I've actually seen this year so I'm not expecting any big awards buzz or anything for this film Uh, I don't think it's necessarily that type of film Uh, but in terms of actual just sheer acting quality was it was definitely up there for me as as a really solid performance.
0: Nice, um, yeah, very high praise, um, and hopefully it'll be one that I can uh, watch. Whether it have to be on demand uh, when it gets a, a, a release, <laughs> maybe uh, seeing as cinemas seem to be to be going uh, away, but uh, I'll be very interested in, in being able to get to see that when I when I can. Um, I, I'm quite. I think Riz Scott is, is a very good actor. But while well, I've been watching JL um, and I've not really been watching any films um, but uh, as I previously mentioned in the podcast a couple weeks ago, I did cancel my Disney Plus subscription a few weeks ago. Um, so I haven't got Disney Plus and, and I, I cancelled a couple of other subscriptions this week. Audible subscription and such. And I decided that I'm going to, I reopened my um, BritBox account um, and maybe i partially agree. It. It's not that good. I, I was like, yeah, I'll try BritBox again. It's okay. Um it's good for me because it's got classic built-who, so like, the, you know, you can get all the new stuff on Netflix and such, but you can't get the 1963 to 1989 stuff, so mm-hmm. I've got it for that. But I, I've been watching a lot of stuff on, on that over the last few days, kind of perusing the catalogue, um, watching um, some of the new spitting image, which is um, pretty... It, I'd say it, it misses the mark quite often, the new spitting image. It's okay, it's, it's quite often cringy to the point where it isn't very funny. Um you know, obviously, I wasn't around for the original Spitting Image, and I wouldn't be interested in watching the old one. Seeing as you know, I wasn't around politically at the time, so it wouldn't really matter to me. But um, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of, of the Spitting Image. Uh, watching a, a bit of the old Red Dwarf um, from when, because I used to be into it when I was younger. But you know, a couple other uh, like BBC dramas and such. But yeah, it's just uh, for me, it's been a lot of um, kind of cult British stuff really for me. That's what I've been watching.
1: Yeah, I also forgot to mention as well. Uh, I started watching the Queen's Gambit on Netflix with Oh yes, uh, Annie Taylor Joy, and I've only seen the first episode because I'm watching it on Netflix Party with a friend. So just waiting for her to be actually ready to carry on watching it. Wait, but, do you um,
0: like Anya Taylor Joy?
1: Oh, uh, maybe just a little bit. You, you've not mentioned it. Never mentioned it before. <laughs> but no, that that first episode was very intriguing. Um, I feel like. The concept, I mean, it's based on a book and I feel like it would, in theory it should be a lot easier to visualise the events in your mind as opposed to like being presented with them because obviously playing chess isn't necessarily the most visually intriguing you know. Um, How dare you? No, no, I mean, I like chess but I mean, just <laughs> I, I don't f- filming people play chess isn't, you know, necessarily the most interesting thing but some of the Visuals Chess is a virgin
0: was... version of drafts.
1: A virgin version of drafts.
0: Yeah. Or checkers, as they call it in America.
1: Okay. Karen, <laughs> okay. Um. <but> yeah. <laughs> what? I'm so confused. Oh, oh, I get what you mean. I thought you were saying that. Never mind. I, I miss it. I kind of, I knew what you meant, and then I questioned whether I knew what you meant. I thought you were saying that it was like. A, a bad, a worse version of of it, even though it's more complicated. And then I realised you just, you, you did just mean what I thought you meant. Never mind. Um, but yeah, that. Let's go back to the actual Netflix show.
0: Shut up, nerd. I get on with it.
1: <laughs> no, no, this it was it was good. The first episode was really good, really intriguing, and uh, I'm excited to carry on watching it because the first episode focused primarily on uh, her childhood and and learning to play chess. So Annie taylor joy was in it for all five minutes. <laughs> so, uh, slightly disappointing on that front. <laughs> But uh, no, it was it was good. I'm looking forward to just carrying on with that, so I will uh, I will get on to watching that. I also remembered the quote from that film, mm-hmm. uh, and the quote was, um, "I try to stand up for my blood, but my blood won't let me stand up." And it wasn't, as I say, it wasn't necessarily one of the most like overtly, you know, outwardly uh, powerful, impactful quotes it was kind of more just sort of it was in the middle of one of the raps but it was just they really stuck out for me but there's some really interesting uh, sort of political and and cultural um and you know things about like race and and uh, heritage and so on in in some of the raps and just about and not even just just about those issues but about sort of issues of uh music industry and entertainment and who gets credit for what, and, and it's just really a really interesting, more sort of faceted film with a really, nice, really nuanced performance from, from Riz Ahmed, so yeah, definitely give that a chance if you get on to uh, being able to watch that at some point.
0: Yeah. Um, very high praise from you there. So, I guess without further ado, I think let's get on to our reviews of the day, shall we? Let's go for it. We'll start off with the earliest one, which was what we do. And we're going to be looking at uh, the 1984 horror classic, slasher classic, Wes Craven classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street, starring the likes of um, John Saxon, Ronnie be- be- Blakely, Heather Langenkamp, and of course, Rob- Robert Englund as very, very good, and of course, a young Johnny Depp. Um so, this is um, the first instalment in a in a long and I believe fairly not particularly liked series. I think the the films are supposed to be fairly average after this, but it's the first film of, of seven. But I think this is um, much like Rocky, the first film. There's basically most people have only seen the first one anyway, um, and, and and either of us had previously had an experience with the series if I'm correct. Um,
1: no, other than. Knowing Freddy Krueger and yes. the, like the character, and also knowing actually no, I'll the save that. Till I'll will save that till it. I did not even know the basic premise. I'll will no, save really. I'll save uh, what I was going to say then until we actually start talking about the film.
0: Yeah, so um you watched this in the cinema, did you not?
1: I did. Yeah, I, there's Where's a bunch that? of Halloween films I was gonna try and watch. I didn't see most of them because of time and stuff. But um mm-hmm. yeah, this was the one I did see.
0: So you had the advantage of, uh, that would have been nice to, it would have been nice to be in a cinema Seeing it's been like three weeks packed. since I was in one. Really? It was absolutely packed. Oh, I'd do anything to be in a packed cinema now, man. I've been fucking like, three weeks. And three also, weeks. I went to the cinema eight times <coughs> the last week of City World. I've been me in the cinema for three weeks.
1: Yeah. It was, it was actually was really busy. And so I was kind of surprised actually because it was a very mixed bag. Like I went in, as I said, haven't knowing very little about the film just knowing that it was like this horror slasher film that people most people have or a lot of people have seen um and but yeah there was a wide range of people there were some older people who obviously you know probably watched it when they were growing up or whatever then there was uh some younger people who based on the conversations they were having hadn't seen it before either some and then just a really sort of mixed bag and it was very very i mean it was probably one of the busiest films i've been to other than like tenor which was you know busy just because it was a new film and a big blockbuster I think probably this is one of, up there with one of the busiest films I've been to see since uh, since lockdown, was, well, the last lockdown was lifted.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, um, fine enough, the, I can't remember if I said this, I think the most, the busiest film I went to was uh, St. Maud, which was a horror film, so maybe that's the, the only genre that's still packing up the uh St. Maude was fairly sense.
1: busy for me actually as well, not as busy as, as this one, this one was like in a, one of the big screens and still was quite busy. I guess because uh, Halloween and yeah. so on, but yeah.
0: Um, yeah, so I watched it on a small cinema screen, a uh, small computer screen, so I didn't get the same effect, I guess. But um, still, uh, this is uh, very much an influential uh, film, uh, not only in in the horror genre, but I'd say in the, in the uh, in the world of Western film in general. Uh, and you know what? Why don't you start off, JL, and give us your thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street? Okay. Um, what on earth was this film <laughs> I, I mean okay right
1: so I went into this film and I was like okay Freddy Krueger is iconic character you know he's like mm-hmm. everyone knows who Freddy Krueger is even if you've not seen the film or even you know you don't mind I not know what film it's from but you know you know who Freddy Krueger is and I went in and I was like okay uh, this is you know a classic horror slasher from those like Halloween and blah 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 days you know of like the 80s horror films and so I was like, okay, this is gonna be. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard good things about this film. I've, you know, your letterbox, you look at it. It's got a three point eight out of five. You're thinking, okay, that's I think that's, you know, that's fairly decent. It tends to be letterbox tends to be, you know, either sort of very middling or over inflating. But I feel like three point eight is a is a decent score. Like you know, if if it's kind of that middle ground where it's you know not very controversial. It's kind kind of a bit of a consensus there, and. I have to say, I I thought this was pretty garbage, to be honest.
0: Really? I, I,
1: I honestly think... I mean, I said this last week about Max Winslow being one of the worst films I've ever seen in the cinema. I just thought this was... I don't know, it felt like a joke. It, it felt like I've been conned by people. I mean, I came out of this that film... when I, I expected at all. I came out of this film and I was thinking... What what is this like? Is this supposed to be scary? Is it like I know it's like in that horror slasher genre where, you know, it, it maybe not supposed to be very 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 scary. But I was still expecting it to be, you know, have some genuine scares in there. And as someone as we've established very many times on this podcast, is very easily scared. Like Woman in Black for me was was very scary. I mean, you said it was scary at the time you watched it, but that was when you were like what. Twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this for me, it just there was like people laughing behind me uh, at certain parts. I don't know if I've ever they seen it before. They were like, I don't know, adults. Like, I know, I don't know how old they were, but there was like a couple behind me uh, who were like laughing at various points at the big, be- sort of earlier in the film. And I was thinking, you know, I kind of don't like people who laugh in the cinema at films things that aren't supposed to be funny. I can like in-
0: pissing myself hereditary.
1: Well, for example, like 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 in *Midsummer*, right? So they were, when I went to watch *Midsummer*, it wasn't like a busy screening, but there was like a group of, of like teenage guys. I think it was. Oh, I can't remember if it was a girl or whatever. But was like there's definitely some teenage guys in like a group, and they were just laughing like at certain parts. And I was like, I don't know. I just find it very not disrespectful. Maybe disrespectful to the film rather than to the other people in there. Just to like laugh at things that obviously are not supposed to be funny. Like, but this film just. Felt like straight up comedy to me, because I mean this. I I I, I don't want to be completely critical. There were some like merits <laughs> to it, but I compare this to something like un. I compare this to something like Unfriended, right? Which for me is just complete comedy. Uh, you know it.
0: I'm it, really quite in awe and shock. you're <laughs> you're giving you're like giving an awful awful review of Nightmare on Elm Street. I right? hate Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Okay, I don't hate it like. I mean maybe I do hate actually no maybe I do hate it. Okay, okay. what I will say I'm going to get I'm going to let you talk for for a bit in a second, but just one thing I want to say before before that is it wasn't scary apart from like one moment which made me jump maybe one or two, but even they were very cheap jump scares. They weren't even like you know, it wasn't scary. It was just let's just immediately have something just appear like just for the sake of having a scare.
0: I wish I had done my review first because I feel like a lot of my points are going to sound like I'm trying to respond to you but I was going to say them anyway
1: <laughs> okay that's fine but then atrocious. what but like just, just just one thing as well is the the dialogue was laughable the acting for me was atrocious um, mm, I did not agree at all the, I, the, what I will say is the acting right the there's the, the one standout moment of acting in this film for me was when Glenn's mum comes into the bedroom and starts screaming. And all she's doing is screaming for about 30 seconds. And that was, like, as good as it got for me. Like, the, the acting was abysmal, I thought. I, I mean, I'll let, you, I'll let you counter now. But, I mean, I honestly was so disappointed with this film. I'd heard, like, everyone knows this film. Freddy Krueger's iconic character. And this is what I was going to say before when we opened. Freddy Krueger, right? Dead by Daylight is a, is a video game where it has, like, mm-hmm. these iconic killers. So there's, like, uh, Jason... Is Jason in it? Yeah. Um. Then there's, like, Freddy Krueger. There's, like, Huntress. Michael Myers. Is like, Huntress. There's, like, a, the pig one. Um. There's, like, a bunch of, like, you know, iconic horror Halloween monster villain characters. And a few. I think a few of them are, like, invented for the game, I'm not too sure. But, I mean, given that that game is, you know, supposed to be, like, a horror-branded thing, I just came out of this, I was thinking... Freddy Krueger is a comedy gold like character. I mean, I'll let you, I'll let you speak now and I'll, I'll come back in a, in a, in a bit to, to say some more stuff, but I think very disappointing.
0: The main thing that you're lacking in your, in your, you know, personally, I think you're lacking in your analysis is, is context, um, which is like, okay. So I, said, I think this film is an undisputed horror classic and it, I'd never seen it before, but as soon as I were, I understand, I could have been in that headspace in 1984, and I, I appreciated just how good it was. Uh, it's not my favourite film, I think there was definitely flaws with it. Um, but I thought, you know, I saw, I saw it and I was like, yeah, you know, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be about. So obviously I understood the basic premise, I knew who Jason, uh, who uh, Freddy Krueger was, I understood it was If You Can't Sleep. But whilst that may be, um, uh, you know, a slightly like, not that creative thing, you know, you're thinking... In 1984, that hadn't been done before. You know, you're talking about a completely new idea. Like everybody has to sleep, and it's like, you know, I'm sure it had been done before, but on a big blockbuster, major Western stage, this concept of fighting sleep, I think, was, uh, you know, it create. You know, there's nothing that. Um, you know, like there's nothing that you can stop to do that. Everyone has to sleep. And this fear that it's always around the corner, something in your dreams can really, out, I think is an amazing concept. And I've got a lot of credit for for whoever came out of that, because I think that obviously makes the series. Um, I, I'd say that, uh, I'd say that, you know, I thought, I didn't think the, the performances were, were particularly bad. I thought that Johnny Depp was uh, was good. I was, I was quite a big fan. I also thought that the main character uh, played by Heather Landkamp was, um, obviously still a lot of screaming and stuff. And, you know, of course you can be doing that in a, in a horror film, but um but I thought she, you know, generally, you know, seemed fairly realistic. You know, I could believe believe her. I maybe don't think that the character uh, Rod. I don't think he was particularly good. But um, I thought that it was kind of the, the acting was kind of what you expect for a slasher film. I think that a horror is built on innovation. Uh, when you're talking about, um, you know, not the kind of B movie, um, you know, they, they had some like possessed doll. I think we're talking about like top level horror is built on innovation. And innovation is kind of only cliched by parody. So I think that, like, the way that it's been treated now, you know, like, you know, a lot of these old horror films, but especially things like Scary Movie and such, and even the Scream franchise, which is kind of semi-satire, kind of of makes these old films seem cliché and seem comical. But I'm thinking at the time, you know, how scary this must have been. There's a lot of scenes, like there's a scene early on where Freddy Krueger um, has his massive claws and he cuts his hand, his fingers off. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, that looks like, you know, dodgy SFX now, but imagine at the time, like imagine you've never seen that before and he, boom, he cuts his fingers off. That must have been so scary. Or when she, when the uh, character Tina starts getting cuts down her and she's flying around the room, blood all over her. I thought, imagine if like, you know, I was my mum's age. I imagine if, like, in 1984, I'd never seen anything like that. Um, it's like, especially if I was a young kid, like, say, I was like 12 or something, as when it came out or 14, that would have been amazing to see. Um, I could manage to remove. I, I, I didn't. I don't really have an opinion on this film from a 2020 perspective because I wasn't thinking of it like that at any point. I was always trying to put myself in the in the position of 1984 and, and how it came about. And I think the the twist with with the parents and such, I think is, uh, was a great one. And I thought was, um, was, was one I uh, wasn't particularly like, I didn't expect. Uh, I think, um, and and the way that, that he kept coming back and right at the end, when she goes off in the car ends, I think it's a classic ending. I think this film, I can see why it's kind of in the, kind of uh, history books when it comes to horror for creating so many concepts handling them well and creating a really genuinely scary villain that you know that they're always behind you know you can never get away from sleep um, and, and whilst it maybe not stands up to 2020 standards um, and I think horror age is, is worse than any genre I think something like Nosferatu would, wouldn't even be slightly scary in the 70s let alone in the 2020s um, I don't think something you know, even you know, The Exorcist, you know, is, is aged particularly badly. I was talking to my, my parents about horror films, and they say, well, all of them age badly. Um, there's not many that, that stand the test of time, especially when they're they're built on on such like uh, visual effects and special effects and such. Um, but I can see why it's kind of considered in that in that pantheon because of just how impressive it would have been, how groundbreaking it would have been in 1984.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I can appreciate that that it would have been like very for the time, very like innovative and. Just think how scary breaking. that
0: shit would have been. Only cut I mean, his fingers off, like you, you would have been it... shitting yourself, wouldn't you? But I don't think that. I do that's
1: scary though.
0: I, I it would not... have been. No one would. You would say they like, and the, the the cuts down her back, like suddenly the blood everywhere. You yeah, know that, that, But that I mean, classic... it just felt
1: so over the top. Like it just felt so ridiculous at times that it, and some of the dialogue I have to say was just so, just unbelievable and. Uncredible like, Unrealistic I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say But it, it felt The dialogue at times was like laughable Like for example I think
0: it, the, it has that, that feeling Of trying to like that Very much fun enough I, I think uh, dreamlike feeling You know when you're in a dream you're like trying to wake Trying to get out you're trying to run away from something I think it really simulates that sense Of, of panic really well Especially in those closing scenes in the house when she's trying to get out, she's just trying to get to her dad. Like that is such a dream-like feeling. I think yeah. it really, really does what it's trying to do so very well. I, I just think- mean some
1: of the more like that. Okay, that stuff was alright. Like, but I mean more just in general, like characters' interactions. For example, ninety percent of the dialogue between the mother and daughter was just. I don't know. I just found myself cringing and laughing at certain parts, like laughing internally, just. What what is this? There was like a moment in the film where the the mother says like, "Oh, mummy killed Freddie or something." I just I just and I just like felt like what is this? It just it just feels like a parody. Like I mean, I was I was watching I was watching and some of the character. I mean, we talk a lot of on this on the podcast about uh, like character motivations and actions and decisions and you know, uh, you know what a character is doing and why and does it feel justified and so on and like for example I was talking to my dad right before my dad was like I said to my dad last week I'm going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street do I come with me he was like nah, nah not really and I just thought maybe he was busy or you know he'd seen it or whatever he didn't want to see it again and I came out of and I talked to him this morning about it and he was saying yeah, it's like garbage. He was he was saying like it's just he was saying like apparently in like the second or third film, this is like angels or, or something. Yeah, yeah like, I, mean, um, I think
0: the, the, the later ones I suppose yeah. Shit,
1: but yeah. I mean, there was there was one like one part, but in particular, where I was just thinking, what is going on here? Like, why is so. There's, there's like that sleep se- sequence where she goes to the, you know, Institute of Sleep Research or something, <laughs> and I was just like, that is so stupid. And then they go, they go in, they just, exp- they do this- well, because, like, there's a sign there which has clearly just been put there for a film. Like, is, there's no such thing as, like, an institute for, like, sleep No, yeah, but I'm sure there whatever. are
0: people that specialise in sleep, aren't there?
1: Yeah, yeah, but, like, a sign outside a hospital for yeah, one s- entire section and it's yeah, just yeah, dedicated. Anyway, anyway. So they go into this section and there's, like, a se- sequence where she's, like, dreaming or whatever. And they have all this typical, like, 80s, you know. We've got to put a lot of wires on her and, and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then she does this thing where she pulls out the heart, Okay. Yeah. and and then the mother like completely just like is like oh you're being ridiculous this is this is nothing, um, you know, and then and then the fact okay she she tries to explain it I'm not sure if this was like a counter to like try and explain why she like to like try and hide the trauma of the past and stuff, or whether it was just she I don't know the the, the thing the thing that I didn't understand was, is this is before um. Before the the children know who Freddy actually is, right? Mm-hmm. And so she pulls out his heart in the in the, in that in that section, and you know the mother's like, "Oh, what are you trying to prove here? You're trying, you trying? You know, you're just being crazy. Like, what are you trying to what you trying to prove here?" And mm-hmm. and then you know, if it was like a plain heart and it was just like a random heart with like nothing on it then fine, but the fact it had Freddy Krueger written on it, which A, why would you write Freddy Krueger on your heart? That doesn't know. And also B is, why on earth when the mother sees Freddy Krueger on her heart, and she knows who Freddy Krueger is, and she knows that the daughter doesn't know who Freddy Krueger is, why is she then so, like, you know... This this is a you need you need to like because
0: in, in reality you wouldn't assume that it was a dream monster coming after her you'd assume that it was something that somebody was some actual killer was pranking her or, or as a copycat killer or something and she got yeah given but to then her. you would you tell her assume that you, would, like, you wouldn't just mental. wait
1: yeah but then she waits like half of her film to then say oh I'm sorry the Freddy Krueger is this guy and he did this he's like why the whole film is for me is just like you say about the sleep stuff which is really interesting. But, like, mm-hmm. for me, the actual whole premise of the film is just bizarre because the the parents clearly know who Freddy Krueger is and the fact that she keeps going on about this guy with nail, uh, knives for hands or whatever and then, you know, she has this hat with Freddy Krueger written on it. And they seem, still seems so anti, like, they just seem to, like, completely just write off anything she says. Like, you need to sleep. Also, I think,
0: though, the personal trauma of, of dealing with him that they probably any thought of him probably would be one they'd want to instantly dismiss like thinking about yeah. somebody that was like trump ruined their childhood like you wouldn't want like just be like oh just shut up don't talk about it kind yeah of that's dumb. true i but think I... the one another thing that i'll praise i think from the from the creativity department um is that having it i, I love the element of um the, the ways to wake up I thought that was cracking like the um, she burns her hand the, the alarm clock it's like everything the only everything that could wake you up would wake you up except for Freddy I thought that was a great great move as well and I thought that um, again yeah. it's like you know I think a lot of it seems fairly cliche now but whoever came up with the concept of the, of the you know fighting off the sleep I think that, that was that, that was I was particularly good I was, I was a big fan and also the I thought the the final like I thought the um, the effects was awful but I also like the idea say... that the but again like can you really blame it's 84 um, mm, but I liked yeah. the build up on you know on the bridge scene with, with Johnny Depp and he's explained to him the, the dream scales turn you back in the energy and then that being the final one like you kind of I, th- I think they did a good job of placing it at a point where you still for- you kind of forgot about it in the normal in your like you know. But normal. but fe- that felt
1: just so just exposition for the sake of just having a moment of like oh this is this is how you defeat the monster like johnny depp's character at one point was like oh yeah this this is a complete write off like there's no such thing you know people can't share dreams people don't can't blah, blah blah and then the next minute he's like oh yeah there's these there's these people who believe that there's these sleep monsters and and so on and it it just felt like the film was like i mean also the, I mean, that was, the, after,
0: that was after he experienced her. Like, yeah, being
1: out there. yeah. I mean, I mean, the dialogue. though. Do you not think the dialogue was? I don't know if you. I don't know what you. I can't what you said about it, but. Like I, I thought that that scene... there, was, there,
0: was, there was clear exposition at points. Uh, however, Not even exposition, that, though. Just... I thought a lot of the dialogue, um, maybe between the adults and the, and the children, felt a bit off and a bit forced, as you said, between the pet mum and the, the daughter. But I thought a lot of the dialogue between the kids seemed fairly natural and unbelievable. I thought that um, yeah, a lot of between the, the kids between, was okay. Yeah, I, I thought overall... Uh, well, again, Although there's know, that scene
1: on the bridge you mentioned where she's I like... I don't have a problem with that at all. Is that scene fun. on the bridge where she was like talking to the to Johnny Depp and then they were she was like it was like, Oh, why have you got a book on booby traps and she was like I like survival or something? And it's like it just felt so painstakingly nineteen eighties like I mean but then I say that, but then you compare this to something like I saw Back to the Future in Jurassic Park recently. I was Jurassic Park is a bit like yeah.
0: But you compare I would this to
1: something like that and you just think like they have stood the test of time, like they stand they I hold think, on I think Jurassic everyone.
0: Park is aged worse than this has you think? I think Jurassic Park's aged awfully. I think Jurassic Park isn't very good, but do we uh, could compare,
1: compare like the practical and visual effects of Jurassic Park to this film? And like,
0: I think they're, they're, they're I think they're fine except for that like weird sequence at the end. But like the the blood scene on the bed, which is obviously the most famous scene of the film, like that looks very cool even now. Yeah, the practical
1: effects were fine in this film, I thought, yeah, but like the visual effects were obviously there's only a few, but, um,
0: Yeah, yeah, but I, 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 I think, mean. Yeah, I, I think horror know. films age badly. Full stop. But I think I think I can appreciate just how good it would have been and just how like how scary these concepts would have been for the first time. You know, I think um, I'm I'm always thinking of it. Is thing and like you know again does it? It doesn't particularly stand up in all, in all ways, which is why I'm not going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it a seven, uh, maybe a seven and a half. But um, I think maybe actually you know, just
1: aren't my thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I, m- maybe not, but yeah, I think I, I think I'd give it a seven and
1: a half. Okay. I, what what I will say is, it? Jurassic Park is scarier than this film.
0: That was film. That film. Well, oh, Jurassic Park isn't scary. Exactly. It's, yeah, but
1: it still had more tense <laughs> moments than this film.
0: Oh, I wouldn't say so. The witches are like trying to get out of the house at the end. that, that yeah, was... Also,
1: the ending of this film as well. That whole Freddy becoming a car thing is just <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Like. I don't know. I, I think I, it was
0: Freddie becoming a car. No, 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 no. That is that
1: is uh that is the general consensus from what I read after the film that he becomes the car. Oh, I see.
0: Yeah, that is very ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Um. You want my review? Do you want my rating? Yeah. Uh, it's gonna get a solid two out of five on box, So I mean, that's kind of gonna dictate probably a it's four. four out of ten. I'm
0: just I point, mean, I, I'm just I feel like lack maybe pushing here, a four and a half. Eh? Say again. So I'm disrespecting you, I'm, I'm disappointed in your lack of context historically.
1: It's not lack of context though. Like, y- y- I mean, there's a difference between appreciating and understanding context of a film, and then just being an utter like this. This film's for sure. where I f- like earlier films in this and later films in this, which you know maybe haven't aged as well, but I still can appreciate a a quality. I just felt the acting was awful in this film. Like for me, if the dialogue like say you know, regardless of visual effects and practical effects and I found that the music in this film was very good. Um, but you know, the music and a few good practical effects can't really you know, it's kinda of the opposite way around. So if the if the practical effects and visual effects were completely abysmal, but the actual story and this and the script and the acting was, was fairly good. Then fine, you know, I'm more than happy to be prepared to say, you know, that's just an issue of budget rather than quality. But if, I mean, if the the visual effects, if the practical effects and the score is two, is the standout components of a film, and and then you look at the the script and the acting, which for me were, very, I don't know, I just felt very very poor, and I don't really understand how like people can say, oh, this is so such a good horror film. I don't know. I mean. I guess it's very subjective especially with horror films and maybe as I said before slasher films maybe they're just not for me Um, but as I said before I I look at Dead by Daylight and think Freddy Krueger's has to be this massive like scary you know horrific character and then he's just jumping around doing stupid waving dance moves (laughs) for like 90% of his appearances in the film you
0: can got a bit Binion's Fire that that bit was cool you can got admit that. which bit? When he was on fire. Okay, that was around, cool. Like, that
1: was. But cool. again, exactly that's what I mean. Like those sort of things, they were they were cool. Like the 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 bu- the bedroom bit with all the blood and blah blah. It blah was cool. Um, and I thought the the soundtrack, the that main theme, was like one of the best horror like pieces of music I think I've ever heard in a film. But I don't know. I, I'm just not a fan of of this film at all. So hence the. Uh, I mean, maybe lean towards a four and a half rather than a four, but I mean, it's still not exactly a glowing review from uh, old J.L. McDonald on, uh, you on Nightmare on like, you stink. Also, introducing Johnny Depp at the beginning and he's in it for yeah. a solid like 10 minutes of the film. I'm like, why? Why not introducing any of the other characters who i never heard of before? I wonder like, if
0: that's Yeah, I saw that. I was wonder. But to be fair, they were right. He's <laughs> the only one that made it. I thought, really I
1: thought I thought he was gonna be like a very big part. I thought Johnny Depp was gonna be like the main
0: He's the second most important character.
1: Maybe most important, but I I mean you have Tina who's like the main protagonist for like the first twenty for minutes of the film. minutes, yeah. And, and like the majority usually think is... that she's gonna be
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Psycho star switches up the protagonist. Yeah. But I think for the majority of the film is she he's the second to uh to, to uh, what's her name? I've got
1: a name. uh Nancy Nancy I don't think I will ever ever watch this film and think this is a saw a good film I'm not, I
0: think, I'm I, think not I could it, en- I'm saying it's a classic is what I'm saying
1: I think I could enjoy it as like just you know maybe next Halloween or whenever we get back to a bit more normal you know if we can have like a a Netflix uh, like a Halloween movie night then it's definitely a film I would consider putting on just to have on as like a you know, a classic, but I don't necessarily think it's scary or a very good film.
0: Okay, well, two uh, contrasting views. I remember the last time we disagreed so much. I wonder. I'm trying to think back. We didn't really agree on. I thought the New Mutants was better than New did, but we kind of agreed on the same point. So I wonder what was the last time we disagreed so much. Um, yeah. I remember disagreeing massively on with uh, with Isaac about Mad Max Fury Road, who, which he gave a five, and I think I gave a one on the podcast. Um, but actually, yeah, joke. Um, moving on to the main one of the podcast. Uh, well, I guess it's kind of as important as the, the co main, uh, as, as you may say. It, we're talking about the bit smaller film, um, a Netflix film, Netflix original, His House, um, starring uh, Soap Dirisu and Wanmu Masa- uh, Wanmi Masaku. Uh, sorry if I breached those names. I, I don't know the first person. I don't know Sir Masuri. But I do know that one Mima she has been in quite a few different uh, BBC things before. Uh, and Matt Smith. Uh, it's a psychological horror film um, following the um, personal uh, traumas, uh, survivor's guilt and... Um, that the personal trauma, survivor's guilt, and lack and feeling of uh, not belonging that comes with three uh, South Sudanese refugees that arrive in the UK, um, and their, their daughter passes uh, on the way. Um, so this film is, as I said, available on Netflix, and um, I'm going to be talking about with the spoilers. Um, I would very strongly recommend watching it if you're going to listen to the podcast. It's only an hour and a half long. Um, and we're going to spoil the film, so go off, stop the podcast, and, and go watch it, unless you really don't think you're ever going to watch it, because, yeah, sure, okay, boom. Um, and because you started last time, I think I'll start this time, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Um, so, uh, I can so I hadn't heard of His House, um, I was, we were going to, you know the, the truth is we were going to do hubby Halloween with uh, Adam Sandler, uh, but it's you know not a horror film and it didn't really feel right. So so J. I messaged me saying how about we do his house and I was like what's that? So I didn't have any expectations of the film coming into it. I had no opinion. I had no idea what it was going to be about, and I was extremely pleasantly impressed. I um so <clears throat> how do I talk about it? How do I talk about this film? So um I think this film. Was uh, certainly not what I thought it was going to be at the beginning. Um, I think the early parts of the film, I expected it to be almost Saint Maud-like in the way that I'm already going to spoilers now, so kind of you know, I'm, I wasn't joking in the last bit. Um, but at the beginning of the film, I expected it to be um, all about the personal trauma that came with the the death of their daughter. I thought that. Um, that it would be a, a battle, you know, you know, as this, uh, this, this main character, Bull, is, is in this new house in Britain, he's seeing things through the walls of his daughter, and he's seeing apparitions and such, and, and he's hearing noises, and, uh, late at night, and I assumed it was gonna continue, like, in, in that vein, similar to that uh, of St. Maud, where you're always assuming, is this real, is this not? However, it very much becomes clear throughout the course of the film that these are real, there is a real kind of, uh, demon or witch or whatever within the walls of the house and it's that that both uh the main characters bowl and, and rial uh, are dealing with um but, you know, maybe I'll kind of always start off with the negatives. That with that part of this, the thing is that sometimes I think those demons towards the end of the film did come across a little bit comical. Um, I think that um, some of the, the monsters they see towards the end that, you know, maybe early in the film uh, look closer to that of dead bodies they would have dealt with um, on their way to the, to Britain. Towards the end, they came across more like, um, you know, Doctor Who monsters. Um, but... Um, Whilst I saying that, uh, that that is probably one of the only negatives I will put in this review. Um, I thought the acting uh, first was from both of the main characters was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think especially the, uh, the performance of um, of once again soap De Rizzi as um, as the main character. bowl was, was particularly impressive and very much uh, you could sympathise with him both on a on a level a human level. You know, dealing with being um, not the you know not feeling like he belongs in the uk being treated badly being kind of uh racially abused I, th- I think more his wife does than than him but um and also on the kind of the horror level of, of dealing with the uh is his, the the demons and such you, you truly do uh sympathize with him uh until quite late on and, and he kind of almost becomes the antagonist for a section and he managed to carry both that the weight of being the the protagonist and the weight of being the antagonist uh extremely well um and i thought his wife who was played by uh, uh god am i gonna have to get this up again he <laughs> played by one meme uh, masaku was again just as impressive and um i think towards the end you know you, you are rooting for her so much um that you know it, it really did feel like once again very human um i think maybe the strongest standout actually i would say about this film was both the cinematography and lighting um the film looked beautiful it de- certainly did not look like the um you know no disrespect but the typical films that the bbc produces uh, it did seem proper hollywood level lighting um throughout and and uh, i thought definitely created a, a great uh tension and, and, and very um, you know impressive uh, vibe that they're obviously looking for with uh, when they're writing the film um, obviously the the biggest uh, actually saying that the biggest pluses of the film were one Matt Smith, uh, <laughs> was, were showed up and he, he's poggers. Uh, I normally hate on him for Dot 2, but every time he's been outside of Dot 2, I, I very much appreciated him, like in, uh, in The Crown or in, uh, Official Secrets or, uh, oh, I- obviously Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I was watching. Uh, I was watching this
1: film. and I didn't realize Matt Smith was in it, and then he appeared, and I was like, "Right, that's I'm gonna give this a one out of
0: 10. <laughs> I thought you hated Matt Smith. I hate as Doctor Who, but he's an all right actor, and he's uh, he's 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 he was very good in this. Actually, I thought he was very impressive, and I thought he uh, he, he whilst he was uh, on screen, yeah. he, he uh, I, I very much was impressed by his performance, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, it very much created a good sense of of the council estate vibe. Um, However, I did almost feel that it may have urged almost on um, some almost classist stereotypes at points um, in that they all, everything about the council estate was constantly like this, like, Chavvy idea, and this everyone was evil. I know they're trying to make them feel uh, uncomfortable, but I felt like the way they treated the state maybe should would have been better offset with a couple nicer characters that maybe show that like it doesn't go so much with the um, upper class ideal of or the upper class vision of what uh, council states are. However, I can say that a lot of the the, the vibe was, was accurately portrayed. Uh, another massive positive, of course, you saw Tony Tony Pulis era Stoke City, uh, which is. Um, <laughs> ways i'm looking for unfortunately maybe not the legends such as Rory the or or uh, wilson Palacios were shown but we saw peter crouch and, and peter crouch got got a name in there but yeah. um yeah i uh and i guess before going on to to jl i'll say the most spoilery thing i'm going to say which is that um i i guess one big positive that i was um go for is i was when i'm actually caught off guard by a twist yeah um, i thought i'll say this yeah, the, the twist that it wasn't truly her daughter, they um, they abducted a, a random woman from um, a random girl um, f- to allow them to get onto the bus, you know, they, they only were accepting people with children, they took some random girl, f- took her away from her, her mum and, and then ended up inadvertently killing her, um, you know, not directly, but, you know, on on the boat over. That was an actual genuine jaw-dropping twist for me and um, created an overall, um, you know, one of the best, I'd say best British horror films I've seen in a long time and um, one that I think ticks a lot of boxes, both uh, for what it said socially about um, the way that the UK treats uh, refugees, uh, the lot horror-wise for creating actual tension and on a technical level was very aesthetically pleasing and had uh, a matching, uh, impressive soundtrack throughout.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm glad that we actually agree on this on on this film. <laughs> <laughs> um so I agree with everything you said so far. I think the one thing I would maybe disagree with was the uh you talked about how you did, maybe didn't like some of the the monsters towards the end. I thought I mean, I didn't really maybe pay attention too much, but I felt at least just on on an instinct level, I thought the the effects for those um those monsters and and, and those people was I was I thought was very Sort of unsettling, like it kind of gave me that. Uh, I mean, you talked about Doctor Who monsters. I kind of got that f- feeling, but I kind of took that in a more positive way. I kind of felt like it's supposed to be this kind of unsettling, almost. You know, it's their memories and uh, of what they've what they've encountered, and um, you know, obviously memories can can often be a lot more. You know, you might can sort of enhance and. Uh, and add sort of a different level to those those memories and things, especially sort of negative and and hor- and horrific to trauma uh, memories. I felt like that was kind of that kind of worked for me on that level at least. But I, I would definitely echo a lot of what you've said. I feel, and I, this kind of uh, I talked about this. I think I mentioned this to someone uh, on I think I dm someone on Twitter actually who'd seen Elm Street the night before I did the cinema. Um, and I, I came out the and, night you know,
0: before Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, no, I came, out of, I came out of Elm Street and said to them, you know, this this is... That was absolute garbage. Like, what is that? And then I, I said to them, this is before I watched his house, I said, this is kind of the, you know, the slasher genre or just sort of those sort of horror films in general, whether it be, you know, just, just horror for horror's sake almost. I feel like it kind of provides, you know, solid evidence for the fact that, uh, for me at least, I, I'm much more... Uh, Responsive and um, appreciative of horror films which have something to say, uh, whether it be about something political or something social or something personal or psychological. Um, Mm. You know, some of my favorite, I haven't seen much horror as we've talked about, but some of the horror films I have seen, uh, the the majority of the ones I I really sort of resonate with are the likes of Get Out and Midsummer and The Lighthouse and films which have. It, it, you know, some kind of abstraction or some kind of weird, bizarre quality to them, but also have do have something to say about something, whether it be through, you know, symbolism or allegory or just straight up, you know, saying it. Um, and for me, this is definitely an example of one of those films, as you mentioned, a very, very solid British horror film, which I was actually pleasantly surprised with, as, as you discussed. I, I mean, I went into it expecting... I'd seen it on Netflix. Uh, Netflix said it was coming up, so I just added it to my uh, to my reminders, and then I got a thing for it. And I, I, from what I had heard, it was generally positive. But um, you know, nothing like exceptional. There wasn't people saying you have to watch this film. You know, you you've seen that with likes of you know Hill House and Blind Manor and other series and other films on Netflix where people are saying you know you have to watch this. It's so good. I haven't seen that sort of level of hype about this film. But I think. I agree with pretty much everything you've said in terms of, you know, the visual aesthetic, the lighting, you know, just, just turning one. I really have a have an appreciation for filmmakers who can turn everyday settings or very simple locations into sources of genuine horror and terror, um, whether it be, you know, there's, there's a lot of ones that I've seen, uh, like The Coherence and The Invitation*, which are kind of, you know, dinner parties or whatever, Um uh lock and buried which are two you know it's more psychological horror films but um again simple you know one location premises i think being able to and especially with this film as well the sequences which are shot in broad daylight which were equally terrifying there's the moment where um i've forgotten the character's name now uh, is it, real? Is real. it yeah, real yeah real um where she's walking she's trying to find uh i think it's a hospital or a shop or something and she's getting directions but she before she asks for the directions she gets like lost uh in sort of maze like uh alleyways and 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 so on and it just it kind of had this this horrific uh quality to it you know i i i always have this when i watch horror films think it's almost easy to uh, scare the audience, uh, whether it be just for the sake of horror or for some other purpose. If it's dimly lit, you know, the shadows or doorways or, um, you know, the lights go out or whatever. But this film for me had very scary moments, whether it be personally scary for the characters and, and, you know, you're kind of rooting for them and, and thinking, you know, what, you know, what the implications for this for them, you know, mentally or whatever. But also, just just watching it, I mean, there was that the moment, as I mentioned, where she's uh, trying to find uh, the, the building, and that was, you know, in broad daylight. And there's just sort of moments where these, you know, I always have an appreciation, as I said, for the, for the single location stuff, but also for, um, well, primarily single location, but also for having... I always think horror films, you know, kind of filmmaker make something scary without having to just revert to, you know, tropes of of dimly lit areas and things jumping out at you. And obviously, this film had elements of that. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely, it, it did something different. Um, and I just think, on a, on a on a as you mentioned before, on a narrative level, I think it had some some pleasant, also well, not necessarily pleasant surprises. Um, in terms of, you know, the actual material, but I think in terms of as a filmmaking, on a filmmaking level some, some surprises which you didn't expect which, you know, just enhanced the quality of, of the film and for me as well the, just on a final point you mentioned the the twist there with the fact that it wasn't actually her daughter, and one thing I will say is, you know um, twists like that can often come out of left field and just be thrown in just for shock value and you can and the and the filmmakers, directors, and whatever kind of neglect the fact that you know, what what you know why why it is happening and what's the cause for it and and is, and is it in keeping with what's happened so far, and you know you take the fact into consideration in this film that there is this mythological, you know, um, witch who in a story that is, that is told in the film, um, who, uh, possessed the guy who stole. To be able to get on own house, and you know, you, you, when I was thinking about the, this twist in the film, I was thinking, hang on a minute, like why is this demon? You know, you know, you could just read on superficial level, oh, they've they've come to another country and they're taking things uh, as refugees, but then you you think about it, and you know, this this demon or whatever witch who is the the creature in the house who is uh, who is haunting them you kind of think, well, why? Why is it doing this? And then, you know, have this twist which comes out of left field and, is, and as you said, it was completely jaw-dropping. But then you also have to think, well, yeah, well, it kind of justifies what's happening in the film. Um, and it, it feels completely justified and, you know, it explains a lot of the events of the film.
0: Yeah, and we've talked a lot, um, and, and you mentioned there in, in your thoughts uh, about the, um, the enjoyment of, uh, of horror films that say something. Um, and he, he obviously cited Get Out as, as an example and, um, and I, I think that's one of the, the strongest points of, of this film um, was that it, it really doesn't, uh, it's not allegorical in any sense it doesn't make you search for the subtext um, it doesn't really beat around the proverbial bush when it comes to uh, to just outwardly saying that they you know don't feel at home in Britain and I think that having the... Um, the the uh, the big horror monster is almost a, a way to, it's it's almost the um, the spoonful of sugar that is like helping the film get the me- like the the medicine down everyone understanding how bad it is. it's almost like just a way to show you know we we're, it's wrapped in a horror film, uh, but yeah. really it's the whole. F- point of the film is, is to show that the process and, and the struggles and, and the, the, the loss that comes with, you know, being an asylum seeker coming from a, a war torn nation. Um, I, I just thought I'd touch on that again because I, I just think that that point can't be overstated enough that I thought this film did really well with its uh, social values and, um, you know, just on a also kind of responding to it when you were talking about what I said about the, the doctor who monsters or whatever. Um, I, I had an issue towards the end. The only one that particularly made me think hmm, was towards the end. Um, when they're talking about this witch and such, that they're fighting off. Um, they actually kind of comes to a head and the, 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 the witch comes out and you see the big bad. Uh, that was the problem I had. I thought almost they could have gone for a more, you know, uh, psychological way, maybe not show it so clearly, or maybe make it an apparition of the daughter or something, but to have the big fleshy beast that fights off and is jumping all over uh, Rial, um, no, jumping all over Bowles, sorry, before Rial kills it. That was the issue oh, I had. Oh, I see what you mean, okay. Yeah, that, that was the problem I had with that kind of fleshy dot two beast, instead of a more, um, in in keeping with the film, as I said, a lot of the, the uh, apparitions are, are not only of his daughter but also other people that died um, on the boat i'd say that there is also some beauty uh, that i didn't mention in, in that comes with the ending um that um the message that is perpetuated throughout the film that i can't exactly remember the quote but it's something like wherever you go you bring your ghost with you or something along those lines yeah um that like having the ending where you know even after the people leave and the house is, is empty seeing the you know the the the, the heard their daughter and then showing that they're seeing everybody that died on the boat uh, kind of uh, prepared, kind of brings on that good message of, of you know almost in a positive sense you know that kind of people that you know you know you need to factor them into your current life and they're kind of along there with you pushing you on and uh, I thought that was a particularly um, satisfying ending to a film that for so often felt so uncomfortable you know you're yeah. always just I'm always just every time I was like oh just go to bed don't fucking stay down there <laughs> with the walls just go fucking. I was like I would be happily sit for an hour and a half of him just sorting his life out because I'm just so like I really 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 felt for the character really really good at creating that emotional connection with the character Yeah, yeah. and you really really root for him from the minute one uh, yeah. and her as well but obviously the film especially early on is very focused on him um also another kind of heavy spoiler
1: but when we talked about them from the beginning so it's not too much of an issue sure uh one th- one scene that really really struck me uh sort of emotionally and just gave me a, a very visceral reaction was the scene where um uh, is is it's like almost like a flashback dream sequence kind of thing where she's back uh back in South Sudan. or yeah and um She's talking with is is it friends or family? I'm not too sure if it's supposed to be you know family or friends or both or what. But yep. there was um the moment where she's talking and then it kind of for it sort of intensely focuses on her and then um ball comes in and, and takes her away and it sort of pans around and there's just the dead bodies uh, scattered amongst the floor. Um, sort of you know it sort of yeah yeah it just really I don't know that scene is really really. I think there's this... I think something else I really like about, about sort of horror films like this is when thing, thing, like There's certain things that happen in this film where if they happened in a film that was just a horror film for the sake of horror, it, it wouldn't have been as effective for me. Like, you know, there's, there's the scenes where the, the wallpaper falls down and then he tears down things and then the next moment they're, you know, they're back intact and it's almost as if nothing happened. And if that happened in just a typical ghost story just for the sake of being creepy, then, you know, it's kind of like, why or what's the point of this? But the fact that it has this kind of underlying, you know, tr- issue of trauma and, and, and psychological profiling of, of the characters, mm-hmm. which was, you know, yeah, I think that's why it works more for me. And and also, that was really aided, as you mentioned, by two really, really strong performances uh, from, from the two uh, protagonists slash you know, antagonists, depending on, as you mentioned earlier, how you look on that. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one, I mean, we talked very highly... We, we often do this on the podcast we often talk very very positively or very very negatively about about films um and as i you know I hope i did earlier elm street is I, I did offer some positives uh just some negatives i, I mean you mentioned one in terms of the the, the visualization uh, the way the monsters looked and the fact they actually were shown uh, one negative for me i felt was the second act of the film felt very slow and the third act of the film felt very very fast like the uh, the sort of middle part of the film, for me at least, did drag on somewhat. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it, it did feel very slow at parts in the middle, uh, and also the the repetition whilst obviously done for for effect and and for purpose uh, did feel at sometimes almost as if sort of certain scenes could have been um, reduced or not even shown at all because they were kind of just rehashes of previous scenes. And, and then the final third of the film, third act of the film, felt almost sort of just very... There's like a rushed moment. I can't remember what it was exactly, but there's a moment in the film um, towards the f- sort of early part of the third act, which kind of just happened. And it's sort of very... I don't know. I felt kind of a bit faster paced and a bit r- more rushed. Um, I don't know if you would agree on the pacing, but I felt like that was one area for me which... Maybe detracted a bit, but uh, overall, as, as I said, very positive, uh, positive review from us. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I read really, this is again <laughs> funny after we just give ten minutes of spoilers, um, but you know I couldn't really recommend it high enough. Is, yeah. is my answer? I, I I really couldn't recommend it high enough. I think everyone should go watch this. Um, it's a very good film, and I would be inclined to give it. I'm gonna go for an. Eight and a half. Yeah, I'm very much on the same boat. Yeah, it's like maybe I kind that. of inclined to give for a nine, but I'm thinking I'm gonna go for eight and a half. Yeah, I. It's, it's I closer think... to an, it's closer to a nine than it is to an eight. I certainly say that. Yeah, I've given enough f- I well, I've not
1: given it yet because as we talked about, we don't want to spoil each other's uh, reviews. So we've we've we've, we've now from going forward are gonna stop putting our reviews on that box until we've post mm. uh, until we've, at least, at least we've recorded the podcast. Um, I given this. I'm gonna give it a four. Um. Which is, you know, is kind of in that middle ground between four and four and a half. So, as you mentioned, probably an eight and a half hour uh, 10. Mm. And one thing I will say is this is above, so just on a, on a reference point for the podcast. So, of the films we've done on the podcast, this comes very highly, um, in terms of 2020 films, at least. It comes above, for me at least. Uh, it comes above Chicago 7, it comes above Borat 2, it comes above Noel Holmes, it comes above St. Maud, it comes above Pixie and American Pickle, The Hunt, un- Honest Thief, Unhinged, Radioactive, Schemers, The New Mutants, The Old Guard. So, yeah, it comes out only, of the 2020 films we've done, it only comes out below Tenet, and I'm thinking of ending things. And only just about below that, so, yeah. I haven't it,
0: so I could say that for certain But when we do twenty twenty retrospective, we'll uh, I'll have to rank it then. Um, But yeah, I believe before we go, you have got a quiz for me, don't you? Horror based Halloween quiz, spooky, spooky. Yeah, I've got a quiz. So this quiz comes
1: on the back. Uh, There's a study uh, which was done by Broadband Choice, Broadband Choices, Um, and so Enemy reported on this like last week or so, week four. And I've saved it for Halloween special. Um, so this is uh, Broadband Choices did a science of scare project uh, where they monitored the heart rates of f- over 50 people uh, across more than 120 hours of horror films uh, to try and determine the 35 scariest films of all time. Now the methodology is very flawed and as an academic person and uh, very very bizarre methodology they decided to pick So they picked 50 horror films on the basis of positive reviews and then tested those 50 films uh, for the increased heart rate um, based on the base heart rate of of participants. However, the fact they chose the 50 highest rated horror films is kind of bizarre because scary doesn't mean good and good doesn't mean scary necessarily horror films as we've we've discussed today. yeah. Um, But we'll just take it at face value. So... uh what we should we do? Should we do a time? So I'll give you a timer and you gotta try and name as many as you can. I mean that's no actually that's kind of stupid because <laughs> that's kind of stupid because then you're just gonna name good films and you're gonna get them regardless. You know what we'll do? We'll do um Hmm.
0: I really thought it's true of you.
1: You know what we should do? We're gonna do um
0: Take two films which one has a higher We'll rate? do
1: higher or lower. I was literally just gonna say that Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. So the, 30, the 35, here, and I'll just do some random ones and I'll do like, I don't know, a couple of so what's an,
0: So okay, so what's a normal heart rate? Um,
1: that's like a resting heart rate? I don't know. I feel like 60, but that's probably just not right.
0: Google this shit. So I want to know what a resting heart rate and a running heart rate usually is.
1: Average resting heart rate.
0: 60 to 100. Okay. Yeah, I
1: feel like 60, but then that's probably, I don't know, maybe it's just because of a minute.
0: 60 to Most adults have Yeah,
1: 60 to 100. So what they did was they just took the average heart rate of people and then just worked out on the basis of that how much it went up by. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, said, oh, this is the scariest one. Because they've also got, like, the scariest individual jump scare moments from films, etc. Uh Okay, so... Actually, I know, do you know what to do? I'm just going to give a quick quiz. I'm just going to do, like, a little challenge thing. So... Uh, who? What do you think is the scariest horror film according no, to give this? Give
0: me the higher or low one. I want a higher or low.
1: You want a higher or lower one? Yeah. Okay. What films. is scarier, apparently, according to this survey, uh, this study, is Paranormal Activity or The Exorcist scarier?
0: Okay, mate. You're not regular at this higher or low thing. So what? So you give me one of. So give me Paranormal Activity's re- uh, heart rate. Well, uh, yeah, Okay. What's Paranormal Activity's heart rate?
1: Okay, Paranormal Activity's heart... No, that's, that's not going to work, though, because then if it's giving you the heart rate, then you're going to be able to work out which one's higher.
0: Well, I could say higher or, lo- well, you say higher or lower, wouldn't you? And then i will go, well, the Exorcist is probably higher than 98 than or whatever.
1: Okay, okay, the Ex... Okay, Paranormal Activity has an average heart rate of 82 BPM.
0: Exorcist is higher?
1: No, the Exorcist is lower. Really? Yeah, the Exorcist is 77 BPM. Wow. Uh, So it says the highest spike for The Exorcist was 92, whereas the highest spike of productivity was 127. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What is higher or... Okay. So 28 days later, right, has an average BPM of 77. Is Alien higher or lower?
0: Hmm. Okay, so Alien's old, so it's aged. But 28 Days Later is not scary, is it? So I'm going to go for the Aliens higher.
1: No, Alien is lower. Shit. They also don't show the BPM for the ones that are below a certain level, so I oh, can't okay. give you the Alien one. But yeah. Okay. 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 Um, okay. What is scarier? Uh, the Shining
0: mm-hmm.
1: is a quiet place above or below... Uh, The Shining.
0: I'm gonna say the high quiet place is higher.
1: Yep, a quiet place was seventy eight BPM, and they don't have The Shining. <laughs> See, all of um, the
0: so far, it's all been the newest one has been the scariest, and I wonder if that's because, and as I said earlier about the, the Nightmare on Elm Street, that because like, um, innovation when innovation is parodied, it becomes cliche. We mm-hmm. therefore think all the old things aren't as scary because they've been done in a comedic sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, the av- this highest spike in A Quiet Place was 122, uh, which is one of the higher ones uh, of any of the films. Um, okay. Um... Okay, so, okay. A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, is... Oh, what's a good one to do for this one? Is Halloween Ooh. Uh, higher or lower than A Nightmare on Elm Street?
0: Ooh. I'm going to go that Halloween is lower.
1: Yep, yeah, Halloween is 77 BPM, and A Nightmare on Elm Street is 78 BPM. So not much in it, but uh, just a bit higher.
0: Yeah, so scarier. You fucking dickhead.
1: <laughs> um. Okay. Let's do two more. Okay. Um.
0: I'm two for four right now. Is that right? Yeah. No, I think two so, for yeah. five.
1: I don't know, I don't know. Really good track. The audience can <laughs> the audience can send us a tweet at Now Showing Film and keep track for always. Um Thanks. The Okay. Sinister Is Sinister higher or lower than hereditary? Lower. Nope. Sinister is actually the highest average BPM. Really? Of the well, films tested. I didn't
0: think it was scary at all. So,
1: uh, so Sinister has a average um, BPM of eighty-six, which is the highest of the ones tested, um, with a highest spike of a hundred and thirty-one.
0: Wow! Wow, okay. that's mad.
1: Yeah. Hereditary Meanwhile was 83 so only that's three, pretty high that's pretty only high 3 for, BPM for behind point. it yeah okay I don't know if
0: that's the same film as everyone else
1: uh one more I'll do one more okay, okay. is Texas Chainsaw Massacre higher or lower than Scream
0: I'm going to go Texas Chainsaw Massacre is higher than Scream you would be correct.
1: Seventy-seven versus seventy-three, with a peak of ninety-eight versus
0: eighty-one.
1: I see. So yeah, the biggest jump scares by heart rate were *Insidious* at so one hundred and thirty-three BPM, followed by *Sinister* one hundred and thirty-one. *The Exorcist* three was one hundred and thirty. Um, Con- *The Conjuring* was one hundred and twenty-nine, and *The Descent* was one hundred and twenty-two. Mad very it's interesting, interesting and uh, very uh, halloween themed this is what i mean though is that like for example the witch and get out which are very good horror films are 22 and 34 respectively uh i mean the witch is still above alien for example just about Yeah. yeah. um but i mean this is this method's a bit weird they've they've gone for like they've put get out amongst like the shining and uh, not, not the shining um the Ring and like the Conjuring and sinister and like actually overt horror films, but sure. I guess yeah, yeah. Anyway.
0: That, that's yeah. I would say that like yeah, exactly. It like, does actually say in the uh, scary.
1: in the asterisk footnotes of the in, from the actual original source, it says asterisk 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 scariest is not equal with best. The Witch and Alien were robbed.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> Get
1: out was yeah. robbed.
0: Get out was also robbed. <laughs> High praise on the uh, National League Podcast. That's a uh, that's an odd episode if you want to listen to that. Part and I think that about wraps it up this week um, so if you want to uh, contribute to if you want to support the podcast the best way to do so currently is to uh, give us a five star review on iTunes that helps us go up in the ranking uh, you can follow the podcast it has an official Twitter account now at, at now showing film you can follow me on Twitter at at Sam H Media you can follow JL at uh, at by Jordan Luke you can follow me on uh letterbox at sam Houston. You can follow JL on Letterboxd at, at JL Macdonald. You can get in the con- the podcast. You can get in contact with the podcast at at uh what it is it? What is it? What's now showing podcast? film. Now showing pod at gmail.com. Oh yeah, yeah. but then now showing film is the 12th Now showing film is the 12th yeah. Sure. And yeah, I think that's everything to plug. Yeah. And um I and... will see you all next time when we don't yeah. even have any clue what we're gonna watch. Well, I'm actually off literally right now to watch Host,
1: uh, a brand new horror film, uh, which I might talk about on the next episode, and also tomorrow I'm seeing a uh, another Limitless premiere, this time it's Horizon Line, a disaster thriller kind of movie, so I'll they're definitely going to still be You'll on, I show. back next
0: episode on those. Yeah,
1: before lockdown, and then after that we'll see what we're going
0: to do about sure. movies going forward. Mm-hmm. So see you all next time. Thanks guys. Bye bye.